This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Think we give the day enough? I think we tell you when the 2023 Toronto mayoral by-election is. That's still a strange phrase because it's an election unlike any other. We haven't had anything quite like this. We have known that we're going to have a mayoral by-election in essence you know, for the last 28 days, but it is June 26th, the first weekend after the mayoral by-election will be Canada Day. So it'll be a very active spring and uh, stepping into the race as some expected her to do and many urged her to do. And she's uh, making her first stop with us this morning to make this uh, announcement uh, is Anna Bailau. It's great to have you on Toronto Today. Thanks very much for making the time. Great to be here, Greg. Um, you've come to this uh, decision. Um, do you come in full on with uh, with any trepidation? Was there any wavering over the last few weeks or was this something you heard? Hey, had more and more people urge you. You had more and more people tell you we need you in this race. How did it all come about? No trepidation at all. Extremely committed. Um, uh, you know, Greg, I, I love this city. I um I'm very thankful that my parents brought our family here and, and that I can still call Toronto home. Um, I really felt uh, a sense of opportunity, a sense of safety and, and a city that worked. And uh, I, I'm proud of being able to give back to, to my city. I've done it, you know, as, as a counselor, my work in nonprofits. And um, what I heard through talking to many people along these weeks uh, is that services are not working for us and mm. life is not affordable in the city. And um, I'm very committed to make sure that we fix services in the city and that we make life more affordable. And that's why I'm running. We talked to you 10 months ago and you announced you wouldn't seek re-election to Toronto City Council. Was there any element of burnout? Was there, you'd done it 12 years. Was there any element of saying, Politics, I'm going to leave it for somebody else. Because here you are back. What What did you think 10 months ago when you stepped away? No, it wasn't burnout. Uh, as you know, I, 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 I've done a lot of work on housing. It's something that I'm deeply passionate about that I need. We need to focus in the city. And so I went on to do um, work on building affordable housing in the city. Um, nobody expected us to be in this situation. I'm sure you can agree with me. Mm -hmm. Nobody expected us to be in a by-election uh, four months after the last municipal election. And I truly believe that we need to get uh, services fixed in the city, that we need to make life more affordable, that we need somebody with the leadership, the experience, the pragmatism, the can-do attitude, the, the take no for an answer, and a plan. And uh, and that's me. And uh, and I'm encouraged by what I heard from 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 people these last few weeks. And I'm energized uh, to to run the campaign and to be the next mayor of Toronto. Yeah, you sound it. And you and you know, and I know how hard it is to sound energized at six thirty four in the morning on a on a Friday. It's anybody. Anybody can do it one day a week. You sound like you got it this morning. I got it every day at <laughs> six thirty in the morning. I got it every day. You, okay. might, you might not find the same level of energy at I, eleven o'clock, but at six thirty, I'm good. I'm glad you can do it seven days. I've got I've got four <laughs> or five in me a week, and I won't tell you which is the uh, which is the fifth day. Would you have run in 2026 had this not uh, not transpired, if you will, with John Tory? Would you have? thought a lot about it, stepped away, done some other things. Uh, you know, maybe you didn't need reinvigoration, but would you have run in 2026? It's it's a possibility. I don't. I mean, I'm not going to speculate on what would happen or not happen. What I mm. want to make sure is that that in this situation that we have right now, where you know people are you know 
uh, in need of better services of the city of Toronto. And you hear it, uh, Greg, you hear it about the TTC, people waiting for over half an hour to get on a bus. And when it comes, it, you know, they have to wait for the second one to wait on a bus. We need to restore services on the TTC. We need to build the affordable housing. We need to make sure that uh, that services are working for people. You know, people need to, to focus on their daily lives. It's hard out there. It's not affordable. And we need to have City Hall fixing these services to make life more convenient for people and to make services and life more affordable. In so the city. you're on City Council for all those years. We went wrong with housing somewhere. Like, I don't know how we'd make a case that that we've done everything the right way. So this is like all of a sudden looking at your credit card bill and it's ugly. So either we overspent or we didn't make proper payments, but we've just we've just woke up and, and this is here. What went wrong with Greg, building housing in the city? Well, Greg, uh, governments were stepping away from housing for decades. And so I'm actually proud to have brought the city back into the housing business and, and started to build housing and using land to build housing and uh, making sure that uh, we're not selling off Toronto community housing, but actually we're, as the largest landlord, providing good services and good housing for people. And that's the kind of leadership that, that, that we need. We need to have better services in the city. We need to have a focus in the city. And I thought, if I could just say, because, you know, you, you probably read in, in some of the stories, it is really important that we get a better and more fair deal for Toronto. And we need mm-hmm. to make sure that the province takes responsibility over the highways that we have, the DVP and the Gardner. Greg, these were provincial highways uh, until the 90s. They were downloaded on the city. We are the only city in the region that is actually paying for the maintenance of these highways. And at the same time now, their services being cut. This is not fair. The smart thing to do is to make sure that we invest that money into the service for the city of Toronto and services like the TTC, which is actually one of the services that is causing a huge pressure on our budget. Almost $500 million of our of our budget uh, shortfall is due because of the decrease in ridership. Well, you're not going to bring pap- people back into the TTC if they don't feel safe, if they don't have the bus coming. So we need to work together to make sure these services are back on track and people can move on with their lives in a convenient and affordable way. So someone listening in London or Windsor says, why would my provincial taxes go to pay for a highway that I don't drive on? Like any other highway. Why would the people of Toronto say, why are we the only taxpayers that have to pay for highways that everybody uses? People in Mississauga don't pay for the QEW. People in other cities don't pay for the 400 series. Why are Torontonians the only way, the only ones that have to pay for the Gardner and DVP highways that are used by everybody in this region? That's my question. And, and to be honest with you, credit where credit is due, Greg. Mm. The province every year through the pandemic has been coming with a check to help us with the shortfall in our budget. Well, $500 million of that shortfall is caused by the decrease in ridership. Right. Again, we're not going to solve that problem by cutting services in, this, in the TTC. We're not going to solve that problem by making life harder for people to get to work and more expensive because they don't feel safe and they feel like they need to get a cab because they don't feel safe to get in the subway at 1030 at night. We're going to solve that problem mm. by fixing services and therefore fix the budget. This is actually a solution, a solution that I'm really looking forward to to working with the province. That's what people expect of governments. Work together to make life more affordable, to fix the services. Is that something John Tory could have been better at? How would you view how he worked with the other governments? You know what? I am 
what I am doing is I'm running on this. I am. I. I think that people of Toronto will agree with me that we need to invest in services and that we need to make sure that the province takes on the responsibility of these highways. I'm running on it, like you know, like the province run on mm. building, you know, 1.5 million homes, and, and I'm looking forward to working with the province to build the 280,000 homes that we need in Toronto. So I'm. I. I. I I will have that say of the people, the confidence of the people, the mandate of the people to have this conversation with the province. Anna Bylaw is our guest on Toronto Today. One last thing, and I think it's a very macro question instead of a micro question, and I hope we'll be able to unpack it more as the spring continues. There's there's always going to be big city issues that smaller cities wouldn't expect to face. There's always going to be crime. There's always going to be cost of living. There's always going to be infrastructure issues. If you and I suddenly uh, were buddies and we moved to New York City, I don't think it, it, someone said, we want you both to work in New York City, Anna and Greg. I don't think we think we could start off with a condo a kilometer from Times Square. Like there's a process to this. So what do you identify as big city issues and what do you identify as things we can fix? Uh, you know what we need to fix? We need to fix what's causing people to have difficulty in their day-to-day life. Fixing the TTC, make sure people go, you know, it might sound like a big issue, mm-hmm. but Greg, people just need that day-to-day certainty that they're going to get to work on time. You know, let me, things like, I, I, and I spoke about this a few weeks ago, the fact that we don't have cell service in our subway. It's crazy. It's, it's, it's crazy, right? It's <laughs> it just is. a symptom of like, why can't we do these things? It might seem like a small thing, but it's like, why can't we just get it done when we're having a safety issue? You know, we just re- the, uh, yesterday or two days ago, some I can't remember, they released this uh, text line that you can text if you don't feel safe. Well, you don't have service in the subway. Yeah, it's really so convenient you if you've got five more stops to make and, and you're being bothered <laughs> by somebody or assaulted by somebody. That's great. So let- Let's bring some let's bring the focus on these services, because these are the things that have the impact on the day to day lives of people. We need to make the life of people more convenient and more affordable so that, you know, they can they can pursue their dreams. They can pursue their opportunities. They can focus on their lives. That's that's what people want right now. That's what I heard over these last few weeks. Is this a seven day a week job um, going forward the next three months? How busy will you be? It's a seven-day uh, uh, job for the next four years. <laughs> I meant campaigning. I <laughs> but I, but I, you're not, yeah, you don't get into it without thinking this is a four-year commitment and, and then some. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Anna, you thank- have to be ready to do it, and I am ready to do it I, I can, and to get it done. Yeah. I can tell. Um, it's going to make it more interesting. I think you're the first candidate in that I could visualize winning, and I'm sure there's other people that have told you that. I think you're going to make the, uh, the overall race uh, a smarter race as well. Thank you very much for the time today. Certainly hope and, so. Thank and we'll, you, Greg. We'll have more conversations going forward this spring. Thank you, Greg. Looking forward to it. Anna Bailau joining us on Toronto Today. Uh, she made us our first stop. Uh, we're happy that that was the case. But there's going to be, again, there's going to be hard questions to answer. What are Toronto issues and what are issues? What are things that can be fixed tangibly? And what are the ones that can't? I think those are, those are going to divide the candidates as we go forward. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. I'm pleased to welcome on uh, the leader of the federal NDP. He's in Toronto. I know he uh, loves being here and he loves coming on our show and we appreciate the time. He is Jugmeet Singh. It is great to have you on, Jugmeet. Thanks very much for the time. Thank you. It's very true, actually. I do love being in the city, and uh, I was born in the city, and I do love being on the show. That's accurate. Sometimes very, very sometimes we have better weather in March than uh, rain in minus eight, uh, but uh, but as you know, you, you take what life delivers you uh, sometimes. That's right. 
Um, okay. I'm, I'm mentioning that off the hop, so I'm sure you have a read when you see a story yesterday, not just about federal election interference in 2019 and 21, but you see that there is some CISA documentation that suggested China wanted to interfere with Vancouver's municipal election as well. The, the word that came to my mind and my brain yesterday was insidious, which means there may be a lot more of this than we ever contemplated. What do you make of that report? Yeah, deeply disturbing and troubling. I think about, for me, what, what it really comes down to is I'm really worried about apathy in elections. People feel like, what's the point of voting? That's what's going to happen. And it does matter. The impact that people are feeling right now in their lives are because of decisions that governments have made. And people need to be able to have confidence in voting for someone that's going to fight for them to deal with things like the cost of living crisis and the fact that housing is so expensive here in Toronto. So I want people to have confidence that their own matters. But when they see headlines that that a foreign government is interfering with elections, even municipal elections, it really adds to that apathy. What's the point of voting? So I want to get to the bottom of this. It really highlights how important it is to have a public inquiry, because these are the type of things we want to get to the bottom of. What what actually happened in in our electoral system? How far is this uh, interference or attempted interference? And then what can we do to safeguard our democracy? That's really where I want to eventually go. I want us to get to the point of, what are the recommendations that we can put in place to protect our democracy and be free absolutely from any threat of foreign interference? I also think not only does the electorate need that um, jug meat, but I think people that run need to know that they're going to do things all the right way. They're going to it's not easy. You're going to knock on doors. You're going to get doors slammed in your face. You're, it, it is not easy to encourage people to give up private life and go into public service. So they need to know that if they do everything the right way, that, that the ball game's not fixed against them. Absolutely. It, 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 does, it does come down to not just the electorate, but the people that do, do choose to put the name forward. It's, it's the whole electoral system. We want to make sure there's strong confidence in our electoral system. And, and while there are very serious allegations, we have not heard anything that has said that the outcome of these elections has been swayed. But it's still very serious. And we want to catch this early. If it is only a nomination meeting, then an attempt, uh, we want to make sure that we're taking that as a serious threat so that we can prevent it from getting any worse. Did you have any candidate come to you in 2021 in any riding and say, I think something untoward is going on? Yeah, it's a really good question. We, we were asked this a couple of times. We have not received any evidence from either our candidates or any other sources that any of our nomination meetings had any of these concerns. We do regular reviews of our nomination meetings as a, as a common practice, and we've not received any information or evidence that that is applied to any of our nomination meetings. I know it's something that's been raised with both liberal and, uh, and conservative candidates, and, and I'm concerned that there is more of an attention in committee on trying to score political points, point fingers, who's worse or who's implicated. The Democrats are saying, let's just get to the bottom of this so that we can protect our democracy. It's not a forum where we want to score points. It's not one where there's any political position here. This is about us coming together to say, shouldn't we use all the tools at the table to make sure our democracy is safe and not make this about a partisan battle between who's worse and who's better? This is about making sure yeah. our democracy is safe. Jagmeet Singh is our guest leader of the federal NDP on Toronto today with Greg Brady, 640 Toronto. Wednesday afternoon, former Governor General David Johnson is announced as the special rapporteur to investigate election interference. I think two things can be true sometimes. I think he's a man of great ethics and integrity. No one disputes that. But no one also disputes 
he appears to be and has said so a lifelong friend of the prime minister's family and, and certainly the prime minister's late father. How do we reconcile this? What's your opinion of, of his appointment? I think the way we reconcile any concerns to the public inquiry, the, the light of the transparency of having a public forum to evaluate what's going on is the way to address this. I think he is absolutely someone that, that has a reputation as a credible, uh, nonpartisan and independent person. And any other concerns that are raised, uh, legitimate concerns that are raised can be addressed with a public inquiry. So I hope that's what he does with the position he has. And I hope that he has a mandate that is broad enough that includes this series of questions. Mm. What did the prime minister, the prime minister's office know about interference? When did they know it? And then what did they do about it? What steps did they take? Those are questions that the special rapporteur's mandate should include. And he should be able to do the work necessary to answer those questions. And uh, he has the power to do so. And I hope he exercises that power to have a public forum, a public inquiry, so that Canadians can have confidence that there is full transparency here. It's also a scenario where if somebody accused Jagmeet Singh, myself, anybody of some of 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 doing something politically that was untoward or unethical. Take uh, when I think of my father and I think of his friends, it doesn't matter in any circumstance. I know there's a list like like I think the Canadian public thinks this is either tone deaf or it's arrogant. Is it either to do this regardless of David Johnston's um, morals and ethics? I think really the way or the way to address the genuine concerns that Canadians have, I think there's some hyperpartisan concerns that are that are not really uh, genuine in the in the pursuit of trying to get to the answers. But there are people who have genuine concerns, and I think the way that it is answered is we acknowledge. I think people will acknowledge that this is someone that that has credibility. Then they've got the the, the opportunity to allay any concerns by having a public inquiry element to their work. There's obviously some part of the work that's going to require confidentiality. We don't want foreign agents to know the way our, our secret services operate. But there's absolutely a way to have a, a transparent and public forum to, to address the concerns that Canadians have. And I think that is really fundamentally the way that Canadians will be reassured if they, if they know that there's a process there, an independent inquiry that is public and independent, that provides them with that, that reassurance. Um, I got to ask you a couple on on healthcare because I know it's a passionate issue for you, and I know you've weighed in on where Ontario is. Well, let's put it this way: going as far as healthcare. Here's where I'm at. I look at some countries in Europe, and I see models that seem to work, and I see how highly they're ranked, and I see how little uh, waste there is at the top. I, you've you've done a great job going after grocery store owners and bureaucrats and whatnot. I hear Canadians say, tell Mr. Singh tomorrow, go after the people that run hospitals. Go after the CEOs who won't say anything about Bill 124, who put more VPs in and, and there isn't enough frontline. I don't know if it's the system or if it's the spending, but something isn't right. How do you view it? Well, with, with our healthcare system, there's, there's a really uh, clear strategy that's been put in place by a lot, of, uh, a lot of premiers. They've been starving the healthcare system of funding. They haven't been giving it the adequate resources it needs. And, and what all the experts are saying is that it's a shortage of healthcare workers. And you can feel that. I saw that when we were in the hospital with our, with our baby daughter when yeah. we were, uh, my, my wife was giving birth. It's clear that the, the staff was short-staffed. So it's pretty obvious that, that staffing is the issue. And so 
premiers have been starving the healthcare system and then turn and say, oh, it's not working. Uh, we need it. We need a solution. Well, the solution is to properly fund the system and have enough workers, hire and respect and recruit enough frontline healthcare workers, mm. uh, repeal bills like Bill 124, absolutely, and make sure that we have enough workers to meet the needs of Canadians, the needs of Ontarians. And instead, uh, I think it's a ludicrous proposition to say uh, we are short-staffed, which is a fact, somehow putting more emphasis into private delivery, for-profit delivery, is going to solve the problem when the problem isn't anything about the delivery. The problem is there's just not well, enough workers. Well, but but the there are rooms are, are backed up. But there are the OECD, the Commonwealth Fund. They're saying it is our delivery. They're not criticizing the funding because it's pretty high per person in Canada. They're saying it's our it's our system. They're saying Canadian people don't have choice, and they're saying. Though you're right about the frontline workers, and we don't have enough, but if we keep throwing money at the current system, we won't get the desired results we used to. We've got an aging population and not enough people in the workforce. That's another factor. Well, the the delivery that we should look at that, that the experts have been suggesting is that an integrated uh, interdisciplinary approach. So basically, if you go into a clinic, if there is not just a doctor there, but there's nurses there, there's a dietitian there, there's a physiotherapist there, so... A bunch of different people working together to deal with the needs of someone. Someone might come in with a, a problem with their with their stomach, a gastro a gastro issue, and uh, they get prescribed medication. But it turns out it's their diet that's creating the problem in the first place. I used to work at a health clinic, a community health clinic, and they had this approach. When I was in uh, I was in university, I worked there, and they had yeah. this approach where you would see a doctor or a nurse or a dietitian or a physiotherapist. And they had this approach where people were getting much better outcomes and it was a best, much better use of, of the resources. So that's something we can look at. But there's no denying right now that we just don't have enough nurses, doctors, frontline healthcare workers yeah. to deal with the needs. And that's what we need to address first and foremost. When all the experts agree we don't have enough healthcare workers, that shortage is, is, is the reason why there's a massive delay in operations, a massive delay in emergency rooms. Mm. So let's deal with that first. And then absolutely we can work with how we can better deliver our, our care. Mm-hmm. But really, the uh, fundamental problem in front of us is a shortage of workers. Having a for-profit system is just going to pull those workers out of the public system and make the delays even longer. It's going to result in uh, higher costs and lower quality. That's mm-hmm. not the solution. Jaimeen Singh, federal uh, NDP leader. Thanks so much for the time this morning. Have a great weekend, and I appreciate you coming on the show. We'll do it again soon. For sure. Thanks so much, sir. Awesome. Jagmeet Singh, our guest. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. By election last night in Hamilton Centre, the numbers don't change. The NDP held the seat that was long held by Andrea Horvath. So if you're keeping score, and I don't know why you would, um, the Conservatives have 82 seats. The New Democrats have 31. The Liberals with eight. And Mike Schreiner is the lone Green Party member. The Ford Conservatives, just in the last week, dropped from 83 to 82, um, given that Vincent Key, uh, Don Valley North MPP, resigned from the caucus. Given allegations, they've been in all the papers, we've talked about them a little bit, that he was involved in um, a bit of an infiltration by the Chinese government into influencing who's going to be in Canada's House of Commons. What do you know? Um, so Vincent Key's out of the mix right now. Um, in Hamilton last night, Sarah Jama won the uh, seat rather easily, kept that seat. Let's go to Hamilton for some reaction. Uh, my friend hosts the Bill Kelly show between 9 and noon on uh, on Monday through Friday. And I don't know if he's half Irish. Maybe he's only doing half the show today. Bill Kelly joins us now on Toronto Today. It's odd that I ask that I don't know your background because I do feel like I know you. I'm half Irish, half English. What are you, Bill? 
William Patrick Kelly, Greg, do the math. <laughs> but uh, but you, you're not taking it as a stat. Can you claim as a can you claim St. Patty's Day as a stat? Work it into a three day weekend. I I feel like you got I, the leverage. I, I think you could. I tried, but here I am. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, uh, and before seven, no less. You and I have the same boss. You know what's going yeah, on. Yeah, and right? before seven, no less, using your voice. That is, uh, that, that's absolutely uh, an HR violation right there yeah, that someone made usual, you do that. I get the usual talent fee for this, yeah. Um, nobody, nobody's shocked by the numbers. I, I'm no. sure you'll talk about the turnout, though, 22%. We just, we just aren't engaging the public with, uh, with coming out to vote. Either they don't like the choices or they already know the outcome, or it's a combination of both. Yeah, pretty much both. I mean, first of all, this is Hamilton Center, uh, right in the core of Hamilton. Uh, and, and it's traditionally uh, a, a riding that doesn't have a very good turnout, period, in any election, federal, provincial, municipal, you name it. Uh, I think the, the, the city council for this area, I think if you win like uh, uh, 2,000 votes, you, you win. Congratulations, you're in. Uh, people just don't seem to care a whole lot about politics here. But there are, as as there is in the, you know, the inner core of Toronto and many other major cities, uh, there is a hardcore of, of people that are very adamant about, you know, political issues like homelessness and things like this, uh, who tend to, you know, move toward the NDP. So uh, to the surprise of nobody, of course, Sarah Jammer won the thing. I don't think it was mm. any ever in doubt. I mean, no matter how many people, if only 10 people voted, probably six or seven of them were going to, you know, vote for NDP. And the rest of them just aren't going to bother you even showing up for this thing. So it was kind of a, a nothing burger. But, you know, it's a seat in the in the legislature. Uh, and that's the story is not that the NDP won. The story is the candidate and and, mm. and, and what she's going to bring to the table. And, and I, frankly, I don't know. I'm not sure what it is. She's she's a, a, an advocate. She's been arrested a number of times for some of her, her activities, for staying in front of City Hall, for uh, showing up at the mayor's house a couple of years ago. And it's seven o'clock in the morning and banging on pots and pans because uh, they, they didn't like his stand on LGBTQ issues and on and on like this. Uh, Mark Stiles is... is going to have her work cut out for her now she's not going to be a quiet backbencher and and you know the, i guess they have to be concerned right now about what she's going to bring to the table i mean uh, andrea horvath went through this a little bit with a few ndp candidates look there's, there's always vetting issues stephen del duke had to drop a couple candidates doug ford when he ran in 2018 had to drop a couple uh candidates notably andrew lawton in london so it, it does happen that somebody squeaks through the vetting process bill what i've never seen is somebody issue a real blanket apology on the election day itself, that came more yet. There, there was a better apology than the, than the half-hearted one that Sarah Jama gave, and, and Marit Stiles was involved in this even yesterday, apologizing for the harmful comments at, at the center of all this Middle East-Israel-Palestine controversy. Yeah, I mean, this this is a story I knew you guys covered it as well, Greg. I mean, this made headlines in Jerusalem, uh, you know, a yeah. little by-election in Hamilton Center uh, because of the comments. And, you know, she stood by those for the longest time. Uh, but, you know, once you become part of the team, whether it's liberal, conservative, NDP, whatever it is, um, you, you've got to march to their tune. That's all there is to it. So, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm assuming somebody uh, in the NDP offices wrote the apology for her. I mean, for those who just need to catch up on this, uh, she's made what many people consider to be some anti-Semitic remarks about Israel and about B'nai B'rith and others. Uh, she also called for, she just doesn't want to defund the police. She wants to abolish police. Um, so they're they're pretty radical views, and I'm I'm not so sure how that's going to sit with the NDP caucus. What kind of relationship? You bring it up, and I was about to ask it, Bill. What kind of relationship does a, a member of provincial parliament have to have with local law enforcement? Like again, that's I I'm not going to have said the things Sarah Jama said, but if I am instantly Sarah Jama this morning, I'm like, 
How do I rectify this? Of course, I want a good working relationship with law enforcement. Call out what I don't like, praise what I do, but I have to have a relationship with them, don't I? Uh, yeah, I suppose. But there's uh, been a, a history here in the last little while uh, of, of especially in that particular part of town with some of the NDP leading people. Matthew Green, who used to be the city councilor for that area, is now a federal MP for that same area. Uh, and he's made some very strong anti-police uh, comments over the last number of years. You may recall there was actually a, a situation where he actually accused the police of, of, of choosing him and picking on him because of his color. Uh, that was eventually dismissed, and, and you know he wasn't happy about that result. But uh, it, this, so there's a pattern that's gone on here, and, and there are some issues here. You know, we've got issues with homelessness, and, and you know, and, and tent cities being set up in city parks and things like this. And, uh, and, and a lot of those people tend to say, well, the police are part of the problem here because they come in here and they try to bust them up. And, mm-hmm. uh, the, you know, she called the police Nazis uh, at one point. And, you know, she stood by that comment right up until the part that Mark Stiles got involved. And I guess all of a sudden uh, there was a it's almost I, I get the sense and I have no, no way to prove this. But it's almost like they said, here's your apology. Read it, sign it and, and just go sit in the back benches when you get elected. Uh, I don't think mm-hmm. she's going to do that. And I, I think, you know, we're going to hear more from her. Uh, and a lot of people may not like what they hear. Bill Kelly's our guest. You can hear the Bill Kelly show nine to noon um, on uh, 900 CHML. Um, We're talking about the uh, Hamilton Center by-election last night. Is Hamilton starting to split a little bit? And I ask that because of like Neil Lumsden had, I wouldn't call it a resounding win, but it was an impressive win in a a riding where uh, in Hamilton East Stony Creek, where conservatives generally don't win. You and I know name recognition means a lot. It means a lot. And everybody knows Neil Lumsden as a football player. But at the same time, I I wonder if Hamilton feels a little more divided than you recall it, because we think Steeltown, Industrial, NDP, Union, is it getting a little more split, do you think? Yeah, the, the changing here has is, is, is been subtle, but I mean, and, and, and Lumsden's win actually surprised me. I and mean, I've known Neil for 30 years. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, not just from as a football player, but of course he was the general manager for the Tiger Cats after that and was involved in this community in a lot of ways. I mean, he, he actually was the guy that ran the, the World Cycling Championship back in the early 1990s uh, that, uh, that did very well here in Hamilton. He was, he was the guy. Uh, so he's got some expertise, and he's well known in the community for that. So it, it, he had that gravitas, and 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 I, you're right. Name recognition plays a big part of this, even though uh, you know he's he in, he's an Ottawa guy. But I mean, his son played football for the Tiger Cats. Neil played for the Tiger Cats. So when you've got that name, uh, but you can make a name for yourself in a number of different ways. Uh, and Sarah Jamma is known in this community for her activism and for being there. She's she's at the protests at City Hall. She's you know the one of the ones that camped out at City Hall during. A number of these issues so you know and she's she's in the news uh, for that for that activism and for the what's going on so uh you know it's 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 like the old beer commercial you know those who like her like her a lot uh and those who don't mm. don't pay much attention to it i got about 90 seconds but i want to ask you about the liberal party and and uh, deirdre pike we had on earlier in the week she got about 20 percent of the vote the, the candidate in, in the in the june election got 13 um bill i've never seen anything like it this is you and I like our sports, but this is a team in desperate need of a rebuild, and it's not like a first-round draft pick uh, shows up on their doorstep because th- they've stunk at these results the last... Like, I look in London, and I'm like, London, they're getting swept out. Their candidates are getting 9% in London or 12% in Kitchener. That's unthinkable in this province, given they ran, they ran the show for 15 years. Yeah, but you know, you're, you're guilty by reputation, and the Liberals have got a bad brand right now right across the province. And, uh, and, and you know, you, your example of London is a classic example. I mean, David Pearson was a pro- former premier from London. Uh, in the last government, the Wynn government, Deb Matthews was the deputy mm-hmm. premier. From, and she got her, her, 
<laughs> walking papers, shall we say. Uh, and it's and it's happening here in Hamilton, too. Uh, and and they, they've got a big, big problem. And we've talked about this on our show, and I know you have in the morning show. Mm-hmm. Too, uh, you know, this is about branding. And, and you're right. It, they're going to try to pick a leader right now. This seems to be the job that nobody wants. I mean, when you have to reach out to Mike Schreiner, who I, Mike, I like Mike. He's a good guy, and I think he's a very honest politician. But he's, he's not on that team. So if you have to go across the road and say you want to play with us, uh, that tells you you've got a lot of internal problems. This is, this is not going to be a phoenix rising out of the ashes. The Liberals have got a long, hard road uh, to try to make themselves credible again for Ontario voters, and they're not there yet. Even courting Bonnie Crombie feels desperate, and that says nothing. That's a compliment to Bonnie Crombie. It was a great scenario. It, following Hazel McCallion, you know, broadcasting, media, politics, it's hard to follow a legend. She's actually doing a really good job up there. She's immensely popular in Mississauga, but it, it, it's probably a job that's a, no, it's a no-brainer to stay where she is. Why would you give up being the mayor of no. what is the third or fourth largest city in Canada? A prosperous city? It's got a lot going for it. You'd give that up to be the, the leader of the Ontario Liberal Party that's basically flailing right now. They don't really seem to have a direction. They don't have an identity. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, I think young kids are growing up saying, I want to be Bill Kelly. I want to be Greg Brady. I'm sure that they... <laughs> but they can't. We're going to hang on for uh, for dear life from our cold, dead hands, Bill. Have a great show today. Greg, Greg talk with you again, my friend. Take uh, care. Awesome to have you. Bill Kelly, uh, you can hear him at uh, 9 to noon, uh, of course, on 900CHML. This is some really interesting things about where it's going in Hamilton right now. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Really interesting conversation we just had with Bill Kelly in Hamilton, who documented um, the NDP winning their uh, by-election in Hamilton Centre. It's not a surprise. Maybe it's how much Sarah Jamma won by. Maybe it's a 22% voter turnout. Um, but kind of concerning. And I want to bring up something that I, had I been in NDP inner circles, I would have said, focus on this, not on that. And I think you'll actually, the arrows will go closer to the target when it comes to the Ford government, when it comes to the green belt. And I'll tell you what that was in a second. Great text about um, who enjoyed the Bill Kelly interview from uh, a gentleman. Um, Great conversation I had. I just wanted to comment the speaker you were talking to, which was Bill Kelly from 900 CHML, at the end of the conversation said the liberals currently do not have an identification. That's because they are no longer liberals. They have to figure out how to become liberals again. And what the next leader of the Liberal Party, he means in Ontario, obviously, needs to understand is that they won't win in the next election. It will take them at least two, possibly three elections to get elected. So we're asking for somebody to take on a party that could be eight to 12 years before their leadership comes to fruition. He's not wrong. This... I'm going to say this again. This is why I think people have a lean towards Nathaniel Erskine Smith. He's 38 years old. Okay. He's not a generation younger than Doug Ford, but um, without with, with just being blunt, Bonnie Crombie is older than Doug Ford by a half decade. So if the next election is until Bonnie Crombie is 66 and she's not premier until she's 70 or 71, depending on the timing of the election or 75 that's not a long-term plan here. Again, I'm going to link this to sports just very briefly. Are you going to get better by signing a 33-year-old free agent? If you're way far away from winning the Stanley Cup, let's say, no matter, Super Bowl, whatever, thirty, are you going to be better off signing 33-year-old free agents or are you going to be better off drafting star 18- and 19-year-olds that you can keep under control that are going to improve over time? Not that I'm recommending a 19-year-old run the Ontario Liberal Party. But Nathaniel Erskine Smith's not even 40. Okay, so I got it. Age is just a number. That's fine. 
Many of you are shocked that I would that to note that Bonnie Crombie's 63. I agree. She's got vitality and energy to burn. Not necessarily for a 63-year-old. But uh, like there are problems. <laughs> We're going to watch a U.S. election next year, maybe between an 81-year-old and a 78-year-old. Oh, my goodness. How does it get to that? You're America. You got 360 million candidates to put up for the Democrats and Republicans. And you'll choose two people, a combined age of close to 160. What up with that? Like, honestly, there's just too much there to end up having it go that way, which is why people get demoralized, which is why people disengage. And that's why people don't vote. But he's not wrong. If this takes three elections, if it takes three elections, do the math. Nathaniel Erskine-Smith still in his 40s. Some of the other candidates being put up by the liberals are 66, 68. I just told you, Bonnie Crombie would be closer to 75 than 70 by the time the liberals get from 8 to whatever, 38 to the 70 they need. They're not going from 8 to 70 in 2026. It does not matter what happens. I know people like to reference 1993 and the Canadian federal election. Again, I eat up this stuff. I love talking about this stuff. But if you go back to 1993, John Cretchen went from 81 seats to 177. Yeah, big red wave. Blew the doors off the conservative party. So much so that that the conservatives went from 156 to two seats. Like, it's still hard to believe 30 years later that that's how it all went. Let me bring up what, uh, what transpired with this Greenbelt stuff. Yesterday, if you noticed, the Ontario Integrity Commissioner has paused the stag and doe probe. I've said this for weeks. I don't know how many times I can say it. And I tell you when I get something wrong and I tell you when I'm like, didn't see that coming. I'm totally surprised by that. I don't know why the issue was this stag and doe or who's sitting where at Doug Ford's daughter's wedding. You lost people with that one. You you muddied the waters. You clouded the sky. The issue is the green bell parcels themselves. Who knew what? Were developers tipped off? I mean, clearly it looks that way to, to enough people. And there may be people within the uh, who are voting conservative that don't care. I know conservative voters. I know staunch conservative voters, and they're ticked off. That's why I asked Monty McNaughton about it. He was on the show talking about important things. Yes, uh, bathrooms on work sites, working from home protection um, for, for mass firings. We were talking about a lot to do with labor. But I got to ask him three questions about the green belt. So I did it at the end of the chat. The issue is the tip off. It doesn't. You look like you're making it personal. I wouldn't have made that. I would not have made that move if I'm the NDP. I wouldn't have gone there. That's what it appears to be for some people. So for, you know, again, for Marit Stiles, for anybody criticizing it, I'm, uh, the liberals are in the mix as well, of course. But this was the NDP going after the conservatives. It looks personal, not professional. It looks like you're digging in on status. It it does look like you're invading privacy to some extent. That's how I view it as, a, again, somebody without an ideology, who feels like a political free agent, who has no dog in the fight, who has no link to the past. I don't go have lunch with these people. I don't carry a card for a political party. I tell you what I think. And all people ask me to do, they're like, call out, call out Trudeau and Ford the same way. Call out the mayor of Toronto. Call out things you, you, you look at and you go, this doesn't make any sense to me. It never made sense to me to go after the stag and doe. <laughs> I don't care where the developers were. I don't care what developers were there. I care about the conversations that actually happen. The where doesn't matter to me. 
The did it happen matters. The where makes no difference to me. I don't care if it's a golf course, a hotel lobby, um, you know, uh, taking kids to sledding and uh, an MPP runs into a developer and says, guess what? I don't care where it is. I care that it happened. And getting in on this, ah, the invite list and what the cost was of the ticket. What a huge mistake. What a huge mistake. I don't, I don't understand the win for the NDP here. And now the, uh, the integrity commissioner says, let's put a hold on this right now. What are they trying to prove? That rich people attended a rich person's wedding? Is that it? I, I have no idea. Not a clue what the end game was. The conclusion should be, when you sit around and your NDP was, let's get them. They're dismantling the green belt. They're tipping off developers. The government's going to take land away that was protected so a bunch of homes can be built for rich people. That's it. That's the story. That's the story. It's not about wedding registries, costs of stag and does, pigs and pokes, pokes and pigs, whatever. That's the story. Okay, we only have so much bandwidth for focus. I, the daughter's stag and doe event, huge mistake to go after it. Massive. 